But anyway, so let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. A uh, little different here for you this afternoon or this morning. It'll get into afternoon if I don't hurry up. So, but uh, this morning I, you know, when I was sick, I was I was reading my Bible and the Lord, I I decided to go to Hebrews because often I'll go back and into what I'm reading through Mark and then sometimes I'll be there and I, I'm continuing to do studies through that and and then I I bounce back to Proverbs sometimes and write some things on that, um, but. You know, I, I read Hebrews the other day. I love reading the book of Hebrews. I absolutely love it. It's just, it's fascinating to me. It, it, it reveals so much of the, of the Old Testament to you that if you're not, if you don't read the book of Hebrews, you really miss out on what God has for you. Well, one of the things that God kept showing me over and over again with this chapter was uh, the title of this message, and, and we'll see how far we get with this. Uh, if I get past an hour with it, I might stop, depending on where I'm at, and pick it up again maybe maybe next week or, or, or whenever the Lord leads. But uh, I, I just don't know, and I, I want to take my time with this. But I, I titled this, Keys to Full Assurance of Faith and a Strong Consolation. And this, there are some men that look at this chapter, and I'm going to read this, this entire chapter to you here, and then we're going to talk about it. But there are men that read this chapter, and they think they see um, the warning of losing your salvation. And I absolutely fundamentally believe that those men are wrong. I believe that what this chapter teaches are keys to full assurance of faith, and it's all over the chapter. I believe that they, they do not rightly divide the word of truth. They look at this chapter wrong. They don't divide, they don't go line upon line, precept upon precept. Because if you do go line upon line, precept upon precept, what you learn is that Paul is not teaching losing your salvation. He's teaching make sure that you're a believer, make sure that you've been born again. But then he's also, what he's teaching you is, he's teaching you keys to come to full assurance. And he even says it in the chapter. He says it more than once. He says, uh, he, he he talks about uh, keys to full assurance. He doesn't use that word keys like I am. I'm using that for sake of a title. But what he does is he speaks of that strong consolation and that full assurance of faith. It's probably one of the only chapters that uses that exact language in it. To So when, when people teach the opposite of that, I, I, I kind of, I, I'm like, wow, why? It's not, that's not what's being said there. So I had 10 of these keys that, that I found in here. And some of them might be doubled up a little bit, or, or you might, ha you might uh, change the numbering a little bit yourself as you go through it. But, but this is what I found to be what the Lord had showed me. And... Uh, I, I think it will help you. I, I desire for this to strengthen you in the faith. And, and it's, just, it's just straight Bible preaching is what it is. It's straight from the Word of God, which is what we need so badly. We need to be fed by God's Word to be strengthened. That's what you need. You need to be strengthened on a firm foundation. And that, that foundation is, is Jesus Christ. That foundation is the Word of God. And that's what you and I need this morning more than anything else. I put away everything else and every concern that you have in your life and place it all upon that foundation and upon that rock and upon the anchor, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's, that's where your faith must lie. That's where your strength is. That's where your, your consolation is here today. So we're going to start reading this here, and then I'll get through to the, the all 20 verses here because they're all applicable to our study here, and we'll see how far we get. But therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of the hands, 
and a laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Brother, did we turn this speaker on over here? Are both of these on? Are they? Okay, they are. Okay, I just want to make sure. And I'm sure you don't have a problem hearing me. And this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. See, all every time I read this, this just preaches assurance to me. It doesn't, it doesn't preach anything else but assurance to me. That's all this preaches to me. Over and over again, that's, he's saying it's impossible. It's impossible. He's, look what he's saying here. That, that they may, were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. I, gotta, I can't preach before I preach, so I've got to get moving. And have tasted the good word of God and of the powers of the world to come. It's the power of God right there. That's the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they, have, they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. Right? He's talking about the blessings of God. He's talking about the fruitfulness there. Now look at this. Now he contrasts it. But... That which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. Well, he's talking about the thorny ground. Those that aren't real, those that produce no fruit. He's contrasting true faith with the lack thereof. That's, that's all he's showing. He's not, right? Now look what he says after that. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Right? He is warning those that are unconverted, that don't have fruit in their life, that have never been. He's warning them, of course. There ought to be a warning there. You ought to be concerned if there's no fruit in your life. You ought to be concerned if, if what you have for salvation doesn't look like what's in the Bible. You ought to be concerned. Right? For God is not unrighteous. To forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do ministries. Talk about fruit again, right? And we desire that every one of you, watch, look, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. There's that full assurance, right? Full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God had made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Saying, surely, blessing, I will bless thee. And multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them and end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. A strong consolation. Amen? 
That's what you need here today. Full assurance of hope and a strong consolation. Amen? That's what God gives. That's who God is, by the way. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Every single one of those words is important. Every single one of these words. Which hope we have. I like this. this gets, it, it gets gooder, doesn't it? You know how to spell gooder, don't you? hope you do. Some of you are very educated, homeschooled children. You ought to know how to spell gooder, right? Right? <laughs> Becca knows how to spell gooder, don't you, Becca? As you teach homeschool, you, you know how to spell that. It's her favorite word. You're going to get a t-shirt. It gets gooder, right? Right? <laughs> Amen. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Amen. Both sure and steadfast. Look at that. Those are all, those words are important words. Every single one of them, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, it finishes the way it starts, starts with the doctrine of Christ, finishes with the doctrine of Christ. Salvation, the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, starts with it, ends with it, in that full assurance of hope, in that strong consolation. Father, please be with us now. Feed our souls with your word. Lord, we need it so badly. Strengthen them who need strengthened. Convict those who need convicted. Bring to repentance and salvation those that have none. Please, Lord, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right. Every child of God desires to have full assurance of their faith. Really is what they desire. They, that they be not rocked or troubled and be not doubtful or fearful of their eternal place with God. That they are real and that their testimony is real before God. And as you can see from this chapter of Scripture... And others that many of God's people struggle with that full assurance, coming to full assurance of the faith in that sense of their faith. That assurance of your faith is different than your actual faith is something that you must understand. You must understand that one need not, not um, have full assurance to enter into heaven one day, right? That's not necessary. That's not salvation. Full assurance is 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 uh, is a fruit of salvation you may come to that sometimes and sometimes you may be without that you may be destitute of that at different times right but that doesn't mean that that doesn't change the doctrine of salvation it is christ who is the door amen it is not your assurance of christ right of your salvation it is christ who is the door it is christ who is the sure hope and foundation and strong consolation of his people. It is not you. It is not, it is not your strength. It is his strength. Amen. All these things are to point you to Christ. Your lack of assurance is to point you to Christ. Your lack of assurance is to build up your dependence upon Christ. Amen. There's a purpose and a reason for it. It is to make you dependent on God because you become dependent on yourself. Amen. There are then many who had made professions of faith and lived like the devil seem to never be rocked, do they? They seem to never be fearful or concerned where they will spend eternity, right? 
Many fear that are saved that they are not right with God and they must be some kind of a hypocrite. Many that have truly have faith in Christ have good reason for hope, but they question it. Then many who have no reason to hope, they live like the world, they walk like the world, they talk like the world, they're in the world, and they care nothing for the things of God or the people of God. But they seem to have more boastful pride about it than anyone. And this can puzzle and alarm the child of God. But what God does desire for his children is illustrated perfectly in this chapter. In verse number 11, if you'll look at it, he says this, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Paul's desire is the same desire that every pastor has and that the Lord has for his people, is that they would, that they would show the same diligence to that full assurance of hope. Right? And I'll do my best not to preach every verse to you, because if I do, I'll never get to the topic at hand but we may cover it later. Many people take this chapter again and, and, and think that this chapter is, is dealing with uh, the loss of salvation. Couldn't be further from the truth. Right? right? And, and I mean some doctors and some scholars and some very, right. I would say, you know, biblically wise men as well get this wrong. Uh, I, I've seen it, and I believe that they, they don't teach it accurately. Yes, there is a warning of apostasy here, and people should truly be warned and alarmed at it. You should be alarmed, and you should, you, you should be alarmed uh, that if there is no fruit there. You should be alarmed. That should, it, it should pause, be paused for question, right? It should be. But that's not, what this, that's not the primary uh, uh, application here that's being taught. The primary application is to strengthen your faith, is that you come to the full assurance of hope. That's why, that's why Paul's writing this here. You know, Paul's theme throughout Hebrews is Christ is better than all, a better covenant, better prom- made upon better promises, right? A better mediator, right? Amen? So all those things, and Christ is better than all, right? So number one, the first key is faith. It is the key of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you would have full assurance of the faith, then you must exercise faith through all of your doubts. The question I always ask people is, tell me, what do you believe? What do you have settled in your heart this morning by faith? Is it Hebrews chapter 6? In the beginning here, it says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of the eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit... Paul lays out these principles of the doctrine of Christ. He is laying out who Christ is. That great question can be asked to you. Whom do men say that I am? Whom do ye say that I am? Well, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you believe that this morning? Is all your faith and trust in that Jesus Christ is the sinless and perfect Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the dead? Do you believe God? I didn't ask you how you feel. I asked you what you believe. Because what you believe is what you will practice. Amen. I'm here this morning because I believe and I practice what I believe. Amen. 
because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, right? Old things are passed away, all things are become new. The Bible says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Do you follow him? Do you follow him? Yes. Why? Well, because you believe him. If you didn't believe him, you wouldn't follow him. That's simple, isn't it? Well, that's how simple it's supposed to be. I didn't ask you how you feel about everything. I'm sure if I asked 10 men, do you really want to go out in front of a bunch of crazy screaming fans and, and a bunch of uh, half-naked women that are going to be yelling at us and not, not happy with us being there and not like everything? Would you rather just stay in the confines of, of the meeting house of the local New Testament church, pray with the believers, and enjoy the fellowship? Yeah, I would. <laughs> I would. I certainly would. But I believe, therefore I follow. Right? That's who we are. We follow Christ because we believe him and we believe on him. Right? Where, where else could we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. There's no other place to go. Amen? And we'll get to that a little bit later. Making sure this is staying straight here. All right. Anyway, Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. They have it settled in their hearts. The doctrines of Christ, the doctrine of Christ they are illustrated all throughout Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 6, that Christ is the Son of God. He is God manifest in the flesh. He is our high priest. Christ is better than all. Christ is the, a better mediator, right? We have that settled by faith. I hope that you do, that Christ is God, that he is our Lord and Savior, and we follow him. That's faith. I believe God. Amen. You know, sometimes I really felt like when I was going through four years of that, I just had to close my eyes, or not my eyes, but close my ears, stop my ears and scream out, I believe God! Like, I had to really do that. Because my mind was telling me everything else different. Right? But I just had to, I had to block it all out and say, no, I believe God. No matter what, I believe what he said. No matter what, I, I, I believe this book. No, no matter what, I believe it. No, I believe it no matter what. I, I don't care if the whole stinking world falls down around me. I don't care if it all melts around me. It was in the book. He said it was going to happen. I was like, well, I'm going away, I guess, but my body's going to melt, but my soul's getting out of here. Right? Why? Because he said it. I just saw an article that came up and said, new archaeological find is going to rewrite Bible history. Nothing's going to rewrite the Bible history. Nothing is going to rewrite it. This book is finished. Amen. You ain't rewriting nothing. Amen. You ain't changing nothing. No matter how many devilish things you throw up in front of our face and lines and si signs and lying wonders, we don't care. We believe this. And that's how you're going to have to settle it in your heart. And to your heart, your little rebellious heart that wants to tell you something different. Amen. You got to believe God. I ain't getting through all this. I know that. I can see that. It's coming. I'm this is going to be this is going to be the mini series in the series type thing that happened but anyway that's okay but Christ is better than all we have that settled by faith that now that word faith that importance that doctrine of faith we are commanded by God look what he says in 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 chapter 6 verse number 1 therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ let us go on unto perfection what is he talking about there finishing word that's what perfection is it is a finishing word right 
He's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about maturity in the faith. And he says it over and over again. When God talks about him being perfect, yeah, there's two definitions of perfection. Well, there's a couple, actually, of perfect. God is perfect. When he talks about you walking perfectly before me, what is he talking about? Maturity, obeying me, following me. He's not talking about sinless perfection. God knows we don't have that on this side. God knows that. That's why you sons of Jacob are not consumed. <laughs> That's because he knows you don't have it. Amen? That word perfection is a finishing word. It means to come to full assurance of the faith and to be well-rounded and a mature Christian. Look what he's saying here. He's saying, here's what you believe. Here's the doctrine of Christ. Now we're going to go on unto perfection. We're going to go on to maturity in our faith. We're going to grow in our faith. Paul gives the same idea in Ephesians 4.13. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ fullness of maturity that we model ourselves after christ right that we grow we're the mature man god wants his people to mature in the faith by the way that 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 perfect man that number four that mature man that number four that perfect man it's the number for the spirit right when we think about the spirit world that means the perfect man is a spiritual man it's not in his flesh it's talking about his spirit his new nature that's what that number describes is his new nature, is him walking with the Lord in the new man, right? One that is walking in the spirit. We cannot lay the same foundations over again. Repentance and faith toward God again. You know what? I'll tell you what. You may do some sinful things as a Christian and you got some regrets. And man, it'd be nice to get saved all over again, wouldn't it? So you could say, man, Paul, when I did all them dumb things, I was lost. No, you weren't. Unfortunately, you're going to have to live with those things you did as a Christian. And by the way, even the things before you did as a Christian. Here's one thing that I want you to understand. The Lord made this abundantly clear to me today and in other days, but today especially. You know, God forgave your sin when you were saved by the grace of God. His atonement covered all your sin. But what it does not change is the consequences and the chastening of that feeling those there's some of that left in us until we die david never forgot what he did never forgot right you're never going to forget but but for the christian that doesn't that should we shouldn't let that lead us to depression it should make us grateful for god's forgiveness and remember i'm never getting close to that line again because i know what that's like and i don't want that for my life I don't want to dishonor my Lord. I don't want to dishonor my church. I don't want to dishonor my family. I don't want to live like that ever again. I'm never getting close to that. I'm going to run as far away from that as I possibly can. What revenge we have against it then. So that's why Paul, why do you think every time Paul wrote, what did he talk about? And I killed the Lord's people. What did, and then what did he say? But he pressed on. He moved forward. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. Why? Because he couldn't forget that but he used it to pay it forward. That's what he used it for. Is I'm going to give everything I got until I'm dead. Amen? For the Lord, because I gave everything I had to the devil, and I'm giving everything I got to God before I die. See the difference? That's what you do with sin. That's what you do with that. God forgives it, but you just, you just press on and pay it forward. So you know what? I'm going to do everything I can for the Lord. That's, 
I'm going to make sure this generation doesn't fall for that. I'm going to make sure these kids get raised right so they, they grow up in impurity and they don't have to face the things that I faced. And they grow up and they marry and they get right and they stay right with God and they raise children in the Lord. And I'm going to invest all my life in it till I'm dead. Amen. Pull me off the pulpit and throw me in the box. Dig the hole. Amen. Don't spend too much on the box either. I ain't there, brother. Right? I ain't there. Don't waste any money on the box. One of you men probably know how to build one. So you just build it up and seal it up, throw it down on the ground. and Amen? Don't worry, I ain't going to be in there. Amen? That old body's coming out of that box anyway. Amen? We believe God, don't we? Look at this. He's talking about perfection. He says, we can't, so we can't lay the foundation and go back. He's saying you need to move forward. You ain't going to be able to turn around and go, you, you can't live your life like that again. You can't, you already know these things. You can't, I mean, you can't turn around and believe these things again. I already believe them. I can't believe them again. I mean, I still believe them, right? I still believe this, right? It's important to understand. Verse number four says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. These are important words. Look what he's saying here. It is impossible. So it's, Im- it's impossible for you to lose that. It's impossible for those who were once enlightened. The light shone. Gospel came forth, right? You tasted of the heavenly gift. Salvation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? You've tasted of that heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Well, who are partakers of the Holy Ghost? We are. Save people. You're sealed under the day of redemption. You're given the earnest. What's the earnest of your inheritance? The Holy Spirit. The Comforter is given to you. You're a partaker of the Holy Ghost. You have him. See that? And we're made partakers and have tasted the good word of God. Amen. Have you tasted it? I have. I have. The only reason why I understand this book is because I'm born again. I have God's spirit. The Holy Ghost gave it to me. He gave me the understanding. He illuminated my soul in my life. And now I can understand God's word. And I want to follow God's word. And have tasted the good word of God. And the powers of the world to come. What is that? The power of God. That's tasting the power of God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know what that is. I know what that is. I've tasted the power of God. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in my soul. I've seen God conquer sin in me. I've seen him conquer things in me. I've seen him conquer me. Amen. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame, it's impossible. If they should fall away, to renew them again. Under, how could they be renewed again? Well, they couldn't. Why? Well, because it's not possible for them to fall away. Seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Jesus isn't going to die again for your sins. Right. He died once and for all. Amen. Once and for all. Right? Paul speaks in verse 8 of those of that thorn, thorny ground, but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. What's he talking about? The thorny ground here is right, that you see that there's only one good ground that bears fruit out of those four grounds. 
That's what's taught all the time. Those other three, they're not. Why do you think they fall away? Because they don't, they're not, they're not Christians. That's why they, they, they're there and on with joy. They receive the word. But then what happens when persecution and afflictions come? They're offended. And what do they do? They take off. They're done. Nah, this Christian life ain't worth it. I'm done. I ain't living this life. That's what they say. And they're done. And they bear no fruit. Stuff springs up at first and all the lively and action and everything, but then it fizzles out to nothing. Then they walk away and they leave. Right? Just like Jesus said, will you also go away? Mm. Amen. Peter said, where shall we go? We We don't know where to go. Now it's the words of eternal life. We ain't going nowhere. Right? That's why the more you ever feel in your heart or you seem to feel that God is pulling away from you, you pull that much harder. You pull that much harder towards him. Amen? You pull that much harder towards him. God will not refuse you. He will not refuse you. He will not. He will not. Amen? God won't. I'm telling you. That's who he is. He's merciful. Look at verse number nine. I like what he says here. This is, by the way, nine's the number of fruit, isn't it? The fruit of the spirit is nine. The fruit of the womb, right? Nine, all that number. Now look at this. This isn't an accident, is it? But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. So then by faith, you ask, do you believe? I ask, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? And has the great, and, and this is the greatest truth of all time, that the atonement was made for your sins, right? And that you must understand that by him alone we please the Father and have access into the holiest of all and are accepted into the beloved. It is by Jesus alone. When you look too much at your sin and not enough at your Savior, you become an idolater. I'll say that again. When you look too much at your sin and not enough at your Savior, you become an idolater. You are making your sin greater than Christ. You are magnifying sin and not magnifying the Savior. Right? The atonement is much greater than all your sins. The price of Jesus' blood is much greater than all of your sins. He is worthy to be praised. You ought to be praising him and looking at him and thanking him for his grace. You ought never to be looking at your sin more than you look at your Savior. Yes, you're to weep and lament for your sins, but only for a time, because Christ paid for those sins. You ought to be looking to Jesus more and less on your sins. It is a sin to look at sin and not the Savior. It is a sin to make sin bigger than the Savior. It is a grievous sin to God. Amen. You're to praise God. You're to look to Him. You're to keep your eyes on Him, not on your sin. Of course you're a wretch. Amen. Of course we deserve hell and damnation. When did you ever think you deserved anything better? And shame on us forever thinking we deserve something better than that. We do not. We are not saved because of what we deserve. We are saved because of Christ. Get your mind on Christ. Get your focus on Christ. Keep your eyes to Christ. Amen. Keep your heart to Christ. That we are sinners deserving hell. 
we must understand. But Christ came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. That he died for sinners and was buried and rose again from the dead. Christ's resurrection is the victory. So then without faith, you will have no assurance. So you must exercise faith in times of fear and doubt. That is not a time to abandon your faith. That is a time to exercise your faith. It is a time when doubts come. It is a time to believe God over them. Amen. It is a time to believe God over everything, anything, and that will be tested. Number two, the next key is diligence. Diligence for full assurance of the faith. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. I like what he says in verse 12. He warns us. This is in the negative, by the way. There's a positive and there's a negative. The positive in the text is this, right? Is, is that, you, that you do show the same diligence. That's the positive. The negative in which he is speaking of is that you be not slothful. So he's showing you what the positive is and he's showing you what the negative aspect is, right, of that. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful. Hmm. How easy is it to take for granted your assurance, to take for granted those things and not to be diligent and not to press on, right? And fight for it and fight through it, right? But to give in to it and be slothful in your Christian life, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. See, there's, there's a lot there and we'll get to it. So there really is a positive key given here, right? The positive is that you be diligent in your quest for assurance. Steady application is what that means in business of any kind, that you are steady pressing on in that constant effort to accomplish what is undertaken. It's an exertion of body or mind without unnecessary delay or sloth. Due, due attention, industry, care, heed. The same idea is given when the Bible tells us, take heed, take heed, take heed, take heed to your, to your assurance, take heed to those things. You're to take heed to them, right? That's what the Bible warns us of. It is a due diligence to pay attention, to be marking that, to be, to be pressing on in that. It is the same idea when the scriptures tell us to do that. It, you must be diligent to acquire that full assurance. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. I had a guy uh, didn't like my sermon. I don't know if you... Uh, the power of the King James Bible. Wednesday night, I preached that message. Boy, that made that guy mad on there. He said, the King James translates uh, servant wrong. It translates, it translates it minister. I said, well, ministers are servants. Amen. That's just stupid. Yeah. Ministers are servants. What do you think they are? He said, oh, King James translated that way because he, because of the clergy. Well, let's get something straight. King James didn't translate anything. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Right. All right. King James didn't translate anything, genius. All right. He wasn't a translator. All right. He was a king. He wasn't a translator. That's why he translated. Oh, really? Well, why didn't he translate baptism like that then? Right. I mean, he was an Anglican, right? I think, wasn't he? Anglican? Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway. But I, I just laughed at the guy. He's like, it's translated. I said, it's not. He goes, oh, and they translated. One time they translated overseer to bishop. I said, a bishop is an overseer. <laughs> is that the best you got? Wow. Really? 
Oh, you better, I think you better try again there, genius. Wow. Is that what Bible scholarship taught you? <laughs> you need some help. Get a dictionary. It'll help you. Amen. This is right there. It's yep. defined right there. It'll help you. Wow. Anyway, um, I don't know how I got on that, but it was funny. Um, he was, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he'll be back. For God is not unrighteous, so to forget that, right? So we're to take care and heed to walk with God, to be a servant of the Lord. By the way, this will help your assurance of your faith too. When you're not focused on you and you're focused on serving others. Paul's talking about that, to be diligent to serve others. Why? Because you're most like Christ when you serve others. You're, you're most like Christ when you serve others. And you ask God to give you that heart of service and ask God to make you a servant and to make you humble and to help you with that, right? To, to, to uh, strengthen you and to teach you to be a servant, to, to be willing to serve others. That's most Christ-like. Christ was a servant all the way to the end and still is, right? Still is. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Amen. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 12. This diligence is seen in, in that verse. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. You are to be pressing on. You are to be marching on to heaven's gate. Amen. You are to be marching on to Zion. You are to be marching on and having urgency. We have good reason, right? to march on. And by the way, you should have good reason to doubt the hope that is in you if you have no desire to march on. Don't let discouragements keep you from marching on. They should not. They are weights and sins that should be shaken off and, the, and you should keep going, right? You should keep walking. You should diligently keep marching. You are so, when it comes to charging heaven's gates, you are soldiers that are driven. You are on a march and you must March on. You must press on. You keep going. You don't stop. You march all the way till you get home. You are not safe on any ground here. You are in danger everywhere you go. But danger has never stopped God's children from obedience. They have pressed on and kept moving. You and I must have diligence. If we are not marching to Zion and marching on to heaven's gates but, and have no urgency, we should have reason to doubt. But if through all our doubts and fears, we stay on the plain path of duty and continue on through all tribulations, we have good reason to believe we are in the faith and a child of the great king. We have no reason to deny that. We have no reason to fear that. He says in the negative, be not slothful. What does that mean? Inactive, sluggish, lazy, indolent, idle. He that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. Our walk with God must not be slothful. If you would attain full assurance of your faith, you must not be a slothful child. Right? Our walk with God must not be that way. We must be pressing somewhere. That slothful is the absolute opposite of being diligent. Paul is warning us that we cannot be lazy and slothful in following the Lord, but that we need to be paying attention to our walk. That it is possible for us to be lazy is why he's warning us. It's possible. You know, there's going to come a time in your Christian life, uh, or maybe already has, that you think it okay for you to coast. There are dangerous times in our Christian life like that, that we feel as if we can coast on past experiences, 
right, that we can, on, on past blessings, that we do not have to do our due diligence in our life, be the best father we can be, the best husband we can be, the best mother, the best wife, um, a devoted Christian to the Lord. Um, we, we begin to, to, uh, to be lazy. We begin to be sluggish. Uh, we lose our desires, and we become backslidden, right? We don't have that same fire and zeal that we should have. We make excuses for for our walk and we and we do not do the things that God has uh, commanded us to do and encouraged us to do and we become sluggish and we become slothful and we become lazy. And you have to you have to be warned against that. Paul is telling you if you would have full assurance of the faith, you must not be slothful and sluggish. If you get into that, you become backslidden. All those doubts and fears and all those things around you will shake you up. They will trouble you and they could and they could move you from faithfulness because of your your backslidden condition, because of your coldness towards God and your coldness in your walk with God, because you're not having that burning desire and fire that you should have to follow the Lord. You need to keep that fire burning. You need to be keep close to the flame. When you keep close to the Lord and diligent walk with God, then he will strengthen your faith and you will, be, you will be on fire and then you won't be sluggish. But the further you get away from the cold or the heat, the colder you get. When we are slothful, we will lose our assurance. And why should God give us assurance when we are being slothful and lazy in our walk? When we are lazy and we don't seek things from God, we don't want God to feed us from his word. We don't, we don't care if we're fed. We, we, we don't listen with intent to the preaching of God's word, but we ignore it or we allow ourselves to be distracted to it or we allow work and other things to consume our minds and our hearts and we become distracted and Christ is no longer the center of everything and the preaching of God's word does not move us like it does and we'll blame the preacher and say, well, he must not be on fire. He must not be getting anything from his word, from the word. He must not be preaching what he needs to preach and, and and we don't look in the mirror at ourselves and say god what about me what am i doing how am i listening am i listening with intent with a desire to be corrected by god you know i i one of my children today their their mother said something to them uh that uh said to them that that uh, you ought to practice uh, you know your your bible verses and and memorization of your bible verses and everything like that and said that to them, and, and they responded with, well, I am, and I, I am working on it, or, or something like that, or I did, or something like that. And I said, that's not the right response. The right response would be to accept the correction and say, yes, ma'am, you're right, because you have nothing to argue about. What are you defending, right? When, when, when we are corrected by the word of God, it seems sometimes we, we don't want to accept it. And sometimes you're given preaching and things, you don't want to accept it at times. And I don't want to accept that sometimes. We get, we get, uh, we get a little hard-hearted with that and we get we're a little self-righteous with that. And we don't want to accept correction, right? We, we, we respond by, oh, I know. You ever try to pastor people and they tell you, I know, and you're watching everything fall apart around? They're like, I know. Well, you do. Well, what are you doing it for then? Right? Oh, I know. Can't. You just got to let God deal with that. Nothing you can do for that. Right? But we can all be that way if we're not careful. What is that? We're being slothful. We're being sluggish. We're being cold. We're being bad. And we're not going to have that assurance. We're not going to be strong in our assurance. Right? 
One man said it this way, with respect to hearing the word and attendance on every ordinance, with respect to the use of means for the increase of knowledge and faith and hope, and with respect to ministering to the saints, but on the contrary, we should take every opportunity of improvement to do good. So, in other words, take your opportunities to do good, to minister to others, uh, to be a blessing, to, to hear uh, the, the scriptures and, and, and the ordinances and, and all those other, that we should be, we should be seeking to, for God to feed us through those things and to teach us through those things, right? And that we could grow through those things. Hey, just because the, the um, Protestants get into sacerdotalism and all those, and the sacraments and all those, doesn't mean that there's no profit in the ordinances, they're much profit in the ordinances, right? God, God gave them to us for a reason, right? There's profit in them. We, we're not sacerdotalists. We're not like them. I mean, we're not, we're not uh, sacramentalists, right? We don't follow what they do. We don't see God in the host or anything weird like that. But what we do believe is that God blesses obedience and truth. He blesses his ordinances, and he blesses his church with his ordinances. They are blessings to the church, Amen, which we'll be observing the Lord's table coming up soon, too, uh, because it's time for us to observe the Lord's table again, I believe, as a church. So I look forward to that. Amen. And I hope you do, too. Um, anyway, number three, I think we'll get to this one. The next key is patience. In verse number 12, he says that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Patience. Through patience, they inherit the promises, the Bible says. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Patience. Through all our trials. You know, one of the evidences and one of those strengths that God gives to his people, that they are his children truly, is the patience that he develops in them through their trials. See, without you have to have it. The trying of your faith worketh patience. I mean... It has to be tried. I'm sorry. I know you thought your faith was something that just sat there and it was called my faith on a plaque and it never got tried. It never got shot at. No, your faith. Yeah, it's like a plaque. Here it is. It's like this plaque right here. And there's there, there's Satan with a bunch of arrows and he goes, oh, yeah, this is your faith. Pew, 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 pew. And, and it's constantly being shot at. That's your faith. You wanted your faith to be this little peaceful thing that never never got rocked at all, never got shaken, never got shot at, never had anything, but I'd be rock solid. No, you know how that rock solid faith is developed? Through it getting shot at, just like that. That's how it's developed. You'll see in those older saints, as they've been saved for like 40, 30, 40 years, and as they're... They, they, you, you see younger people moved away and younger believers, I don't mean by age, I mean by belief, but in the Lord, but they'll be, they'll be shaken all over and tossed to and fro and everything else, right? But you'll see those older believers, they're, they're a little more steady and they're not moved like that off of faithfulness. They're not moved away from that. That's not afflicting them like it is others. Why? Well, because they already took those afflictions before. They were already shot at. They've been through it, right? It's not new to them. So God strengthens that, that. God's already strengthened them. Their faith has been tried. Your faith is to be tried. It has to be. It must be. It must be. See, the very evidence of your salvation, one of the very evidences of your salvation is that your faith is tried. That's, that's how it works. <laughs> Well, I wish it worked differently than that. Well, I kind of do too, but it, doesn't, but it doesn't work differently than that. It's the trying of your faith. 
that worketh patience. You have to be tried. I like what John Gill says. He says, those saints, they come to glory and faith is connected with their, with their salvation. That, and that salvation with that and through faith, believers are preserved unto it. And that patience is joined with faith as a fruit and evidence of it. And what it supposes, and it supposes troubles, which are patiently endured before men come to the possession of the inheritance. You're going to be tried a lot before you go home. And it's going to develop patience in you. What is it patience to do? Not to shake off the yoke when things don't go your way. But steady as you go through it and trusting God through it. Amen? That's what that means. Now the apostle exhorts these Hebrews to be followers and imitators of such in diligence, faith, and patience when they need not doubt of inheriting. And they need not doubt inheriting of the same promised blessedness that they do. Your forefathers went through the same thing, that trying of your faith, meaning that all things will come to war against your faith, and you must patiently endure them. And when you do, you have good reason to believe that your faith is genuine. You have good reason to believe as God has preserved you and kept you. You have good reason to believe and to have full assurance of faith. No man can withstand the blows that heavenly faith can take. I can tell you that. I, I, I would not be here today if it wasn't for the faith of Christ. I would not still be preaching. I would not still be pastoring. I would not still be, be doing the things that, I'm, that, that I am doing now for the Lord as a pastor if it was not for the faith of Christ. I would not. It was heaven wrought. It was given by God. And that's why it can withstand all the tests of this life and all the enemies of the Lord and all the challenges that come our way and all the disappointments and all the discouragements and all the depressions and everything else that comes our way. It is the faith that can withstand that. It is because it is heavenly faith. It is because it is faith from God. It's heavenly wrought. It's been forged in heaven. And it cannot be destroyed by anything on this earth. Amen. Nothing. Because it's the faith of Christ. It, if, if faith is real, then it is a shield. And there is evidence for that. And patience is one of those evidences. It is exercised through our faith being tried. It's the only way. It's the only way it grows. Faith is that muscle that must be exercised to grow. It has to be. There's no other way. It stays stunted and without growth. Faith that is not tried in the fire. Right? Faith is, that does not bring you to the end of yourself. Trials bring you to the end of yourself. Don't you realize that? That everything in this Christian life, until you go home, is to constantly bring you to the end of yourself and for you to see Christ. That's what they're all for. And if you see it any differently, you'll, you'll, you'll be overwhelmed by discouragement. You'll be overwhelmed by depression. You'll be overwhelmed by, by the, the circumstances of this life because you won't see it as a trying of your faith. You'll see it as something else. Oh, it's, it's my neighbor that hates me or it's, it's, it's God that God has rejected me or it's Satan is, 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 is going to devour me or it's this cancer will, des will destroy me or, or any of those things. If you do not see those all as the trying of your faith, then that's the reason why the trial gets much worse. It's why it gets, it deepens and it gets more discouraging and you get more down. Why? Because you don't see it as the trying of your faith to build you up into that full assurance of the faith that nothing, no, none of the arrows of the wicked, right? We have a shield. Faith is a shield. 
It is the shield of faith. The trials that you're going through right now are heaven sent. They are given to you by God. God has allowed them to happen. And if it's Satan that shoots his fiery arrows at you, it is God that allows it, but he's given you the shield of faith. Use it. Use it. Exercise it in due diligence. Right? Patiently endure. That's the next thing. Actually, no, it's not. There's one before that. And I think I'm going to probably finish up with this one maybe, but we'll see. The next key in this, in this full assurance of faith, in, in having full assurance of faith, is that you be not slothful, but be followers of them who through faith, who do you follow? This is important, right? The Bible says, but followers of them. Do you follow men who follow Christ? Do you model your walk and life after them that follow Christ? This is the way that you and I honor the Lord, and this is the way our assurance grows in our walk with God. There is something about the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth, that as we follow on, as we follow men who follow Christ, as we follow on in truth together, as we do that, God strengthens our faith. Iron sharpeneth iron, right? That's what we do. We sharpen one another, right? We sharpen each other in the faith. We grow each other in the faith. And our faith becomes stronger the more we pray together, the more we seek God's face together, the more we evangelize together, the more we minister together, the more we care for one another's needs together, the more we become servants together, then what God does is he strengthens that faith. And if you're not all in, that's what your problem is. You got to put your heart all in. Amen into God's church, the way he designed it, right? And you got to follow men that follow the Lord. You'll never be a good leader if you can't be a good follower. It's true. I've seen it. I've watched it. Husbands, you're to be an example, and you're to obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves to God-given authority in the Lord's church. It's that great example for your wife and children. If you and I show it's easy, an easy way to speak against God-given authority or the Lord's church, your children will learn to rebel against you as well, and they'll not take seriously authority. We cannot let them, we cannot, we cannot give that message. But we must give the message of respecting authority, God's authority that he laid down in his church, God's church, that we respect it, right? That we show our children there's no more important. But I'm going to say this very clearly, and I mean this. I mean this with everything that God put in me. There is no more important place for you to be right now than this church. Amen. And I believe that. And you ought to be all in as much as you can be. Amen. As much as God enables you to be. And there is nothing more important than where you are right now in that sense, besides being in eternity with Jesus Christ. Amen. But he put this church here for you Amen. to help you on your way. And I don't believe there's any other place you ought to be Amen. than right where you're at. Amen. Amen. And learning the lessons that God has for you and growing in grace and learning to love one another. You know, God has showed me over and over the last four years and five years especially that this church is that proving ground, but it's that proving ground of love. It's not that proving ground to see who the toughest guy is, who the strongest evangelist is, who the strongest preacher is, who can preach the hardest, or who can, who can uh, have the strongest stand against something or anything else like that. But it's who can love one another with a pure heart fervently and teach each other. And, and you know what? Love each other through our differences and say, you know what? Yeah, we got some differences, but we're all going to grow up and be big boys and we're going to handle them with respect and love for one another. And we're not going to nitpick each other. We're not going to treat each other like that. We're not going to 
think evil of each other. We're not going to live our lives like that because this is the proving ground. This is the place where true love is supposed to be shown. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus said. That's our example. He also says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. That's it. And this is where that, that is. And this is where it's practice. And this is where, the, you know what? The quickest way for any of us to get into trouble is not for you to sin in that sense. Sin will cause us to have to deal with it, yes. But you know what's an even worse sin than, than, than something you fall into? You not loving one another. That's worse. Right? Because it shows a different, it shows something different. You children, I want you to understand that we made a lot of mistakes in the past. Some of those you don't really remember, or some of those you may not even know, and that's okay. You don't have to. But we did. We made some in the past. But we intend by God's grace never to go that way ever again. We will love one another, and we will teach you to love one another, because you are all you're going to have. And I am telling you, as we are raising you for the Lord and we are sending you out, we know that you are going to be sent out as sheep among wolves. And we know what this world is headed for. And if we don't love one another and if you don't learn to love each other through all the little differences that you have through your, your, your younger years and everything else, you won't have any peace and comfort of the Holy Ghost. God gives his peace to those that love one another. That's, what, that's, that's it. You want full assurance of the faith. You love one another. You practice that love, and you follow good men that follow God. You do that, and God will bless you, right? He will. That's the promise. We have to be careful with that. We've got to be awful cautious with that. Because you know what? When you have a right stand, you can have a wrong attitude. You can just be plain mean. And it won't do anybody any good. Or just because you know something more than somebody else does, right? You've got to be careful. Got to be careful. We're not talking about apostasy, but we're talking about little differences here and there. We need to be able to suffer some things and grow up. Amen. It's something that we all have to think about, right? Sometimes we think more about ourselves being slighted. What about Christ being slighted? That's more important. Amen. That unity is more important when it's based on truth. Amen. As believers in Christ, we're to follow God-given authority and be followers of them that follow the, the word. You younger believers in Christ, you're to follow the godly examples of elder men and women in the faith. You're to listen and learn and grow as children to follow their parents. When you're rebellious to God-given authority, don't wonder if your assurance is shaky. When you don't listen. A rebellious spirit will produce instability and inconsistencies. I'll say that to you again. A rebellious spirit will produce instability and inconsistencies. It just will. When you're rebellious to truth, you're going you're gonna to be unstable as water, right? When your actions are not that of that that that's the right way to go, you you're going to be unstable. You're going to be you're going to be shaky. I like what Paul said. He said, "Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses." The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's God's plan. That's the way God designed it. That's in the local New Testament church, amen? That's where it is. Let me see here. Wow. Not happening. Not happening, but you know what? Let's see here. 
this is I I think I'm gonna preach this next Sunday to you. That's what I think I'm gonna do. Uh, let's see. We're gonna start right there. We are gonna stop there, and we're we're gonna stop with um, being followers of them, which are good, right? Being followers of them. These that the, that we have here of good uh, of good men. The the Bible gives us these instructions. There's so many more that I have. I think I have five or six more that I didn't get through, and that's okay. We'll pick it up next week. That'll be fine. We are going to preach through this chapter, it looks like, and it's going to take a little bit longer than what I thought, but that's okay. I kind of questioned in my mind whether I'd actually be able to get that through. And I think this is enough to stop right where we're at. It gives you a good understanding to get started of, of five of those things, four or five of those things. And we have much more. There's a lot of keys to, to um, full assurance of the faith in this chapter that will help you. A lot of good ones. And I, and I believe it. And God gave it to me, so I'm going to preach it to you. But if you're here and you've never been saved by the grace of God, you need to come to Christ and be born again. You need to have your sins forgiven you. You need to trust Him as your Lord and Savior. right? You need to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. But you that are saved, you need to be working on these things. That's why the Bible says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do you know that's a verse that's dealing with assurance? It actually is. See, what does he say first? For it is God, he says, work out your own salvation, right? So you're to work it out, right? Right, what's being worked in? God's already talked about what he's worked in, right? He says, I worked in, but you got to work it out. See, somehow you thought that you, you didn't have to work for your salvation. He did that. He paid it all. But your assurance of such things? The question is not of Jesus, when it comes to your assurance, the question is you, that you put yourself to, when your eyes need to be on Jesus and not yourself. But the, but, but the, the teaching there is, is that you and I have to work towards full assurance. We don't have to work for our salvation. That's been paid for. But full assurance must be worked for. It must be. See, God's not going to save you and then give you warm, comfortable feelings for you to live like hell. God's not going to put you on this earth and say, okay, I saved you, I sealed you under the day of redemption, and now just go live any way you want to. Now it doesn't matter. Oh, no. It matters. And if you would have full assurance of your faith, you must follow the Scriptures. You must follow the Bible way to get it. You're not going to have it any other way. This is the way of full assurance. Amen? This is God's way. This is God's Word. Right? That's different than, than saying uh, that you're not saved. Salvation is of the Lord. You're to work out what he worked in. That takes due diligence like we talked about. It will take much, and you have your whole life to work on it. So get busy. Amen? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for strength and mercy and guidance. Thank you for eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for all this in eternity too. Lord, we just pray that you'd help those that are not saved to come to Christ, to know the Lord and Savior, to know the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, who is all our hope, all our justification, all our righteousness, our everything. Lord, thank you for your word that can guide us through this life, gives us everything we need. We're without nothing, Lord. You've given everything to us. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your word. We have everything we need to get through this life. Lord, help us to remember that. Bless this food and the time we have together. Give safety. Bless the evangelism. Thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.